What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Vanguard Project Podcast. My name is Austin Jardine. Happy freaking Monday. Today is episode 100. And man, I cannot tell you how thankful, how excited, and how surprised I am that we've made it this far. So thank you all for tuning in, subscribing, liking the show, following me on the Instagrams, following me on whatever platform you are downloading your episodes. Thank you so much for your continued support. I'm so excited. The uh, This past summer, you know, it's been a little hectic. I've been all over Hell's Half Acre, it feels like, and it feels like I haven't quite been able to keep up on the recording and the publishing of episodes, but man, we are back on the crazy train. Um, probably going to be ep- or, uh, publishing every other week kind of going forward, um, because for those of you that don't know, I actually just moved uh, new cities, I've just moved new states, and uh, here in the next week, I will be starting a new job that I'll be talking about hopefully here soon, um, but I am going to be kind of on a, a frantic mad dash to... Uh, really no finish, but just a mad dash over the next couple of months, just kind of getting acclimated to everything new that life has to offer. So I'm super excited and thankful for everybody for helping me push forward. Um, you know, over the past year, I've learned a lot with this podcast. You know, this is episode 100 and that means at least, uh, you know, about a hundred different interviews, but also just a, a bunch of folks that I've been really fortunate to meet and uh, kind of glean life lessons from. And I'm super thankful for my buddy Creighton today and sitting down with me. He and I had connected over the Instagram, Creighton of Scout Arms. We had connected over Instagram, kind of just uh, shot the shit just a little bit, but then really actually sat down and chat a little bit up at the Eberly Stock event earlier this summer. And he is a stud because later on uh, that same summer or earlier this summer, met up with him in his hometown uh, just outside of Livingston, Montana. And, you know, it was really cool because it's been a long time since I've said grace over a meal. And it was a lot of fun because he invited me out, uh, you know, to his place, had dinner with his family. His little daughter said grace for us, welcomed me into their family. And it was just a fun to kind of sit down with them and chat and kind of share in some of the things that I've been experiencing, where life is headed, where I would like to see it go. And then Creighton actually uh, took me out fly fishing and caught, or, uh, helped me uh, get caught up to speed a little bit on how some of fly fishing works. Because uh, again, back at the Everly Stock thing, he got me, no pun intended, hooked on it. It is a ton of fun and I'm super thankful. So uh, with that being said, I'm, I'm super thankful for all of you for tuning in and subscribing to the show. If you haven't yet, please like, rate, subscribe to the show wherever you get it, even if that's on the YouTubes. I have a YouTube channel that this publishes to, so if that's more of your speed, please go like and subscribe it there. Leave a comment and uh, you know help grow this show because for those of you maybe tuning in, my goal here really is, uh, excuse me, not to talk not to talk a whole lot about myself, you know, in a couple episodes, I've chat a little bit about my life experience and some of the things that I've kind of gone through and kind of worked through and whatnot. But really my hope is to sit down with folks that have walked a different life than I have and really understand what makes them tick, uh, really understand their life experiences, things that they've learned, and hopefully share them with you in a way that gets you excited about life, maybe um, gives you a little bit of motivation to take that next step, find a new hobby or career path to get plugged into, or maybe a different community to go join in on. So it sounds a little woo-woo, I know that, but you know what? It's been one of those things that I feel extremely fortunate to have stepped into. Um, kind of with this um, job change, this uh, geographic living situation change, um, I, I feel very fortunate because I, in, in a way, I feel like I am living out to a certain extent some of the things that the folks that I've interviewed have been preaching this whole time. So I feel very fortunate. I uh, This past week has been very stressful in a lot of different ways. 
Um, but again, I just want to say thank you to everybody uh, for all of you for tuning in, for the support, for those that I've interviewed, for those of you tuning in for the first time, please like, like uh, again, like, subscribe, and rate to the show. But I'm going to go ahead and digress and say uh, once again, thank you to all of my show sponsors. Uh, the guys at Everly Stock have been just a massive influence in the, th in the direction the show has taken and also the connections that I've been able to make. If you need gear, I know that we are like in the middle of archery season for elk. Call them up. Call Tucker at the retail store. Get your shit squared away. Get a new hunting uh, mainframe pack. Those things are my bread and butter for damn near everything, including like backpacking. I use it for backpacking. Or if you need um, some mid or uh, uh, some mid-season gear for maybe base layer stuff, they've got some sweet new merino wool uh, or, uh, merino wool um, base layer clothing coming out that or that has come out that I have worn just a little bit. And gosh dang, it is spectacular. Um, also, the guys at Black Rifle for being there and uh, helping me connect as well. Um, the guys at Mountain Primal, but more uh, recently, uh, this is a new show sponsor announcement that I'm super excited about, is, uh, is uh, Midwest Gunworks. I have partnered with Mid Midwest Gunworks earlier this week. Um, I sat down, actually it was last week, I sat down with Cameron over at Midwest and we kind of talked a little bit about, you know, where the show or what the show is, where it's coming from, where I would like to see it going, kind of the heart and soul that I've been trying to pour into it. And he's partnered with me and now offering a 5% discount, uh, which is just code Vanguard at MidwestGunWorks.com for pretty much your entire purchase, which is awesome. I'm super excited. Like I said, I sat down with him not that long ago. We chat for a little while, kind of just, you know, BS and seeing what we're each other's like, how the interaction is, kind of where we're both trying to go, what it is that we're fixing to get out of a relationship. And I tell you what, I'm very excited. Um, I have yet to decide on what it is that I'm going to order from them because you know what? Uh, guns are like adult Legos. And, you know, for those of you maybe following me on the Instagram, um, I have been stepped away from long range shooting a little bit just while I'm kind of in the transition period and taking up some more of the two gun stuff because a lot of that, you know, uh, those competition type materials are a little bit more ready, readily available as far as ammo and components go. Um, so I'm really kind of been kicking around the idea as far as like, man, maybe I should build a subsonic 300 blackout. I mean, I've never owned one and it sounds like a good idea or hmm, shit. Maybe I should build just another, uh, another, uh, you know, 12 inch AR for fun, or maybe do like a, a Mark 12, or maybe I'll just build out, uh, another AR nine or an, a new AR nine. Cause I've never owned one. And that just sounds like a good idea idea. So, you know what, if you guys need whatever the case is, uh, if you're building a new AR, they've got AK parts, they've got 1911 parts. I was actually looking for um, an extended uh, 1911 uh, magazine for my uh, 1911 while I'm out backpacking. Um, be sure to use code Vanguard. Get code, use code Vanguard for 5% off your purchase, which is awesome. 5% goes a long ways, especially I know if you're building something new, it helps a whole hell of a lot. So at Midwest Gunworks website, use code Vanguard, 5% off. But otherwise, guys, once again, Thank you all for tuning in. Please like, rate, and subscribe to the show. Otherwise, I'm going to stop blabbering, and we're going to roll an awesome episode with my buddy, Mr. Creighton Green of Scout Arms. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Vanguard Project Podcast. I'm super, super stoked. So this is the first episode I've recorded in 
a while now. It's been kind of a hectic summer. I got all moved and uh, my buddy Creighton and I are uh, christening my new apartment. And I know that the, the joke was that you didn't have to wear pants, but I think we're both wearing pants. So that's probably a good thing. But Creighton, man, I'm super excited because um, you're kind of a stud. Uh, we, we, we kind of chat a little bit over the Instagrams and then we got connected. Like I actually got to shake your hand and uh, you were the one that got me hooked it hooked on fly fishing. So I'm super excited to sit down your episode 100, like my hundredth interview. So thanks, man. I'm super excited. I'm super excited too, man. It was, uh, great to meet you a while back. It's been great talking with you and learning from you and learning about you. So definitely look forward to being a part of your your show here, man. This is awesome. Thank yeah, you. I'm super excited. So, well, I don't want to take your intro, man. Um, if you don't mind, you know, I know that you and I have chatted a little bit, but for folks listening, who the heck are you? I mean, what have you done with life? What's, what's kind of the, the introduction you like to give to folks? Well, I, uh, absolutely love hunting and fishing. That's been my life since I was a kid. And so everything I've done up to this point in my life has involved, the outdoors, hunting or fishing um, in some way, shape or form, no matter where I was at, and what I was doing. So um, from Georgia, originally graduated in 2005 uh, out of a small school in Ackworth, Georgia, and joined the Marine Corps 2006, um, did a couple of deployments was fortunate enough to become a scout sniper. I got out of the Marine Corps uh, for a little over four years, went into law enforcement for Roswell Police Department for a little bit, <clears throat> and uh, was not a huge fan of that. Got out of that and uh, started working at and with gun shops and manufacturers. Uh, kind of jumped and bounced all over the place as far as where I've been and what I've been doing, but, you know, I've been a train conductor. I've put in silt fence. I've been the public eye of gun shops. I've, I've worked at Cole's department store. I've been a lot of stuff, <laughs> you know, like pretty well-rounded, I guess. But uh, <clears throat> since the beginning of time, it's always kind of been hunting and fishing for me um, and just the outdoors. I mean, I don't have to be hunting or fishing, I would prefer to be, but, you know, just being outside, enjoying it is kind of where it's at for me and being around good folks and like-minded individuals. Um, keep your circle small and keep it tight and keep it right. So yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of my background. And, uh, I own Scout Arms now with, uh, two business partners of mine. One lives in Florida and one lives in Georgia and I'm out of Montana. So, um, as far as that goes, that's kind of my background and how I got where I'm at and where I'm at now. That's a hell of a background. So I don't know if you can see, but I'm taking notes so that I can kind of keep track of my thoughts. That's, um, I got stuck on train conductor, but I'll ask you about that here in a second. So it's kind of funny because there is definitely a theme of outdoor hunting, fishing, firearms, right? What maybe to start right out of the gate with maybe a woo-woo question, but what about hunting and fishing, I guess, has kept you, I guess, what has kept you connected to hunting and fishing for this long? Um, as far as just being able to do it or just wanting Love to continue it. to do it? Continue to do it. Yeah. 
man, it's you can dig into it as deep as you want. Every time you go out, you're going to learn something. And that's like hunting and fishing are pretty much the only two sports in the world where there's a variable that you have no control over. If that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. You can't make a fish eat your fly. You can't make an elk or deer walk down a certain trail. You can try, you can find ways to make it easier for them to do so, but you cannot control them. Um, which is why it's so cool to me is because it leaves so much, so much up to the animal. You're, if you're hunting, you're in something's living room that can see, smell, and hear better than you. And they eat, sleep, and breathe survival every single day. And you're just out there dicking around thinking you're some great white hunter. And it's like, man, these things will put you in your place so quick and make you realize that you really know nothing about these creatures. Every time you go out, you're just absolutely amazed at how smart they are, their habits, how it's just forever changing, man, depending on how much pressure has been put on by somebody else, how much pressure has been put on by you. And this pertains to fish too. Um, but there's just always a variable there that you, you don't have control over. And that's, that's what keeps me coming back. Um, you know, I tie all my own flies. I have a couple of my own patterns that I've came up with different colors and sizes and sync rates and all that. That really lets me hone in and let me know exactly where my fly is at. So if I know where the fish is sitting at in the water column, uh, I know exactly where to put the fly and how fast it sinks and how long it takes to sink to that depth. And so all these little things that you do have control over makes it easier. But at the end of the day, that fish does not have to eat your fly. And same thing with the hunting. You can get a elk or a deer on trail camera, you know, 10 days in a row coming down the same trail at the same time. And you go set up and you get in there early, you get in there and set up properly. The wind's right. You've done everything perfect, right? He's a no-show. What caused that animal to do that? It's like they know it, man. They've got that sixth sense, and they just they just know that. I kind of ran into that uh, day before yesterday with a black bear, and uh, he just he knew something was going on. The wind was perfect. I was hidden. He just knew something was going on. So that's that variable, man. That's what keeps me coming back, and makes me really enjoy those sports you know i played soccer and tennis and all that and it's all fine and dandy but it's just wasn't for me to pursue any longer and uh hunting and fishing was so it's kind of that's that's my life 100 it's funny because like i just you got me connected into the fly fishing kind of game right and i'm learning how frustrating it is right one finding a good spot let alone like being able just to walk out and take the time to cast and kind of the technique of it all. What, I guess, when you go out and, and kind of as you've learned, because like you just recently got your black bear, right? And, and I guess maybe my question is, how, how have you learned to overcome some of those difficulties, right? Is it, is it just going out and constantly doing it, trial and error? Are you buying books, watching YouTube videos? I mean, how does Crate master these things? by getting out and doing it and failing miserably. You have to fail. <laughs> if you're not failing, then you're not pushing yourself. Um, it's like I said, you can do everything right and still not connect on an animal or catch a fish that you're looking to catch. Um, 
it's because of that variable. So what I try to do with, and we'll just talk about hunting. You, you have to get out there. You have to get the experience. Um, you have to like really stop and take everything in and really soak up your surroundings. And, and honestly, just like slow down and pay attention to what's going on around you. Just sit down, shut up and observe. Um, it's uh, kind of like in the military, there's a thing when you get inserted and you're about to go move to a position. The first thing you do, everybody in your team, is you, you sit down, you take a knee. It's called SILS. Stop, look, listen, smell. Every single time you sit dead still, silent, do not move. Just pay attention to everything going on around you for a few minutes. Um, and I mean, that can pertain to a lot of things in life, anywhere you go, anything you do, but man, that's just sitting down, shutting up and paying attention to what's going on around you has taught me more than anything and failing, you know, what did I do wrong here? Did I take too long to get into position? I knew the wind was going to change with the thermals and the temperature at this time. And I just kind of gaffed it off and figured, oh, hell, it'll be okay. You know, the wind's good right now. And then the wind changes, you feel it on the back of your neck. And next thing you know, you've got animals spooked. And now you're not only ruining it for yourself, but you're ruining it for anybody else that was in there trying to hunt those same animals. Um, so you got to get in there. You got to fail, but be smart about it. And, um, you know, be courteous of other hunters. You know, just uh, what would you like to see them do and just kind of be that person? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. so you got to fail you got to pay attention you just got to get out there and do it just like i mean you don't fall out of the womb knowing how to do something so you just yeah. got to continue to do it over and over and over and over consistently okay what would be uh what's maybe the one oh, i got two questions what's the one big fail that you've had that sits with you today when it comes to hunting where you're like damn looking back i messed up on x um, the one that sticks out the most to me right now is this was last weekend. Uh, I had three bulls in front of me bugling within 90 yards of me. I had two young bulls that were between 40 and 60 yards. I could have killed two of them and they were five by fives, five by six, but they're just young. Um, the bull I was after was mature. He was up on the hill with the cows. Uh, once those two bulls came in and saw that there were no other like elk in the area, like they could hear us calling and acting like elk over the ridge. So when they got to the ridge and looked down the hill, they were like, okay, where are these, where are these elk at? You know, we weren't there. So they lost interest immediately and turned around and started walking away. Um, at this point, you know, I had the wind perfect in my face. It was getting dark, had about 30 minutes of light left. And that big bull is standing up on top of this hill. And I was in some thick timber. And uh, I started walking up the hill towards that elk, cow calling. He could catch movement. He couldn't see that I was human. Neither could the cows. Um, he couldn't tell I was a human. I mean, and I was cow calling. So I sounded like a cow just walking up the hill to this bull, right? The other two bulls, I dipped off. They didn't spook. They were just not interested anymore. Um, and 
the terrain that we were in, man, it's just so hard to judge distance and really make like a, like a good call on what a distance is. I had my, my range finder with me, but I'm like, I'm walking up the hill, my release in my hand, my bow in my left hand, arrow knocked, cow calling, walking up to this bull. And man, I, you know, I was looking through the trees. I'm like, man, he's, he's kind of close. Like that, that elk is close. I just want to get a little bit closer, you know, a little less, you know, room for air or more room for air, however you want to say it. But, you know, I, I feel confident shooting out to 60 yards with my bow, but, you know, I just like traipsed up this hill. My adrenaline's pumping through me. My heart rate's going, you know, this is like, this is my opportunity to kill a bull. And man, I should have just stopped and range that out because now that i think about it i was probably within 60 yards easy yeah um but i just you know kept creeping kept creeping hoping to get within like 50 maybe 45 it, it, i just you know hindsight's 2020 20. you always look back and you're like fuck man maybe I, I really should have just made a different decision right then and there so you know looking back man i, I probably could have just stayed where i was at taking my time range that elk drew my bow and shot him. I had a little gap in the trees for his vitals. It just, it seemed so far away through those trees, but after he moved up the hill, we never spooked the elk. He still thought I was a cow and the cows that he was with kind of like forced him to leave. They, I watched a cow get between me and that bull and like literally forced that bull to move to walk up the hill because he didn't, or she didn't want him going with some other bitch. Right. <laughs> and, and so they took off over the ridge bugling and cow calling and just, you know, I didn't spook anything. The wind was perfect. They couldn't make out that I was a human, but yeah, that's, I screwed up, man. I, I honestly screwed up last weekend, but at the same time, you know, what if I had taken a shot that I wasn't comfortable with and wounded that elk or, you know, completely missed and spooked those elk out of there, you know, they're going to run, God knows how far they're going to run and go to a different bedding area and all that. So, you know, I made a good decision, I think, but I also screwed up because I didn't, I didn't shoot the elk. And looking back, I think it was within 60 yards. Actually, like I'm almost positive it was because after they walked up and kept going, I walked up to where he was standing and it wasn't, it wasn't far. No. So that, that's my screw up. That's my mistake. And I've learned something from it. So. Take all that does is make you better. <laughs> yeah, all that does is make you a better hunter when you screw yeah. up. So, so then on the flip side, what's uh hunting related? When it maybe one of the things that you're like, man, I put in the work and I'm most proud of this. Um honestly, man, probably my archery whitetail from let's see, that was six years ago five years ago six years ago um had a mature buck going from bedding to feeding i was in his path of travel and his travel route natural funnel between both points had trail cameras set up just outside of his bedding and just outside of where his feeding <clears throat> and he would come through there pretty much every day to go feed and i set up a stand mind you I, this, you know, just to skip ahead and skip ahead. I hunted this deer for two years before I killed him. 
this one specific <laughs> animal. And this was in Georgia. And I would go sit in my stand and man, I would never see this deer. I could hear him as sometimes coming out of bedding. Uh, I had never seen this deer other than pictures of him. And he's no giant. He's like a 130 inch nine point, but he's, he was seven years old when I killed him. So he's actually smaller the year that I killed him than he was the year before. But um, I could not figure out why I, I couldn't see this deer. I'd, I'd go after hunting, I'd go check cameras and he would be on my camera the day I'm sitting in the stand that he would be leaving his bedding and he would be entering the feed like in an hour span. And I'm sitting there in the tree stand, like wind's perfect. Everything's right. I got in, you know, hour ahead of light and he's coming through there, but where? And so finally, like I've got, I remember one day I got so pissed off. Um, and that's another thing too, man, equanimity, keep your bearing, you know, it's like the, all they're doing is what God created them to do. They're surviving. Man. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like, good on them. the harder, the better, because that just means that, I mean, it's going to be more worth it to you. Um, but anyway, so I got so mad and I walked down to the Creek and I had a Creek run right in front of me, like 50 yards, man, I fit 60 yards from my stand. And, uh, I got down in that Creek. And I remember it was hot. And so I just, you know, walked down in there, got some water, splashed it on my face. I'm just sitting there thinking, I'm like, why can I not figure this out? And I look left and there's buck tracks in the sand right in the creek there. And uh, I was just like, no shit. You got to be freaking kidding me. He, dude, he had been walking in the creek bottom and there's like, steep banks on both sides right like he had been walking that creek in the creek to get through there um not down this perfectly manicured trail that you know all the other deer were using can't tell you how many smaller bucks and does i let walk down that trail just waiting on him and he yeah. was in in the creek and at the height he was at there was no way even from my tree stand that i'd be able to see his antlers or anything going through that creek so the next day i went and set up on the downwind side of that creek 10 yards off of it where it kind of like divoted in like the bank that steep bank that was around the creek kind of dipped in it was a natural crossing for deer and animals to get across the creek and i just made a little makeshift ground blind out of some brush and just sat there sure enough that next morning here he comes walking down the creek and uh the, uh, the cool part about that, can you still hear me? Yep. Sorry, I had a phone call come in. Um, yeah, he came by. It. I think he ended up being about 12 yards when I shot him in the creek, and he never made it out of the creek. He turned around and ran back up the way he came and, and died in the creek that he had evaded me in for two years. And so, like, being able to put all that together um, was really cool. Yeah, That's that was kind funny. of my kind of like my proud moment shooting that deer off the ground and finally figuring him out, man, taking the time to figure it out. Cause he's know, freaking smart. They are so smart, man. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. Whitetails, especially down, you know, in Georgia, man, I, like I've hunted out here for a little bit now, obviously in Montana. And there's really, there's not really much of a comparison between the, 
the deer, the white-tailed deer in Georgia and the white-tails out here, especially mule deer. Man, mule deer, the curiosity kills them suckers, man. They get – you can spook them out and they'll run 100 yards and turn around and look at you. If you're rifle hunting, man, it's just so easy. But, uh, <laughs> Swack them. Kind of yeah, like up in, when we were up in Riggins. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's funny. All right, man. So part of maybe to kind of change it a little bit, part of what I like to get is um, kind of the life story. So you obviously grew up hunting, right? Is that, was that something that was dad, grandpa, family deal, or was that something you did pretty independently? Um, my dad got me started shooting and hunting squirrels and stuff like that. Uh, my grandpa, he was a big rabbit hunter and squirrel mm-hmm. hunter. Not much of a deer hunter. Um, that side came more from the fishing, the fishing aspect. Um, they were big anglers. My grandpa was a fly angler. My dad, not so much, but they, their thing was mainly fishing. And so I learned a lot from them and continued to build my, I continued to build my expertise in that area um, as I grew older you know, it was never like super duper serious for them. It was more of just a recreational thing just to get out and do. Um, whereas with me, man, I like, I dig into it. Like anything that's worth doing, I like dig into it. And so I got really serious about fishing. You couldn't keep me off the water out of that boat in Augusta, Georgia. Um, after school every day, that's where I was at. That's what I was doing. Um, the, the hunting, um, you know, obviously my dad taught me how to shoot, you know, with 22, we bought a little bolt action Sears 22 at a pawn shop one day and it was in really bad shape. So we ripped it apart, and sanded it, sanded the stock down and refinished the wood, reblued the barrel in action and just cleaned the hell out of that thing and put a little cheap Tasco scope on top of it. And I was waxing squirrels and rabbits and, shooting cans at like hundred yards and stuff. So I was like, this is actually an absolute blast. And that's when I really started digging into that aspect of things too. So, um, the hunting, I had to teach myself a lot of the stuff that I've learned. Um, you know, I learned a little bit from my dad and my grandpa, but like I said, they mostly came from a, a fishing background. So, um, yeah. And I just had to get out and do it and fail. So, okay. Yeah, I'm slowly continuing to kind of get into hunting. I've, I've gone the past couple of years, didn't grow up doing it at all. And I feel like I'm going to have to be because like, I'd really like to get out. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get out this year. I think kind of with moving kind of like I was telling you on the phone, I've got to go learn Utah rules and go find freaking units or whatever they call them down here and get it situated. But I mean, like I can, you know, I can gut a deer and everything and that's fine. But like elk, I imagine is a very similar process, but bigger, like significantly larger, you know? So it's like, I feel like I'm going to have to go fail a lot before I get anything down. And then it's going to be learning on the fly. <laughs> so Definitely watch some videos on like the gutless method of quartering up an elk or a deer. Definitely like do some research on that because it's especially with elk man that's a huge creature and that's a lot of weight to be moving around and so 
keeping that as streamlined and as easy as possible is, is huge. A, it gets the meat out of there quicker so you can get it cooled down. Um, and B, where's the outlets, which if you've got to make two trips in to carry an elk out, you're going to be beat depending yeah. on who you shot it at. So, um, yeah, definitely do some research on that. You know, I do, I do recommend watching some YouTube videos and learning from somebody, but definitely make sure it's a, a reputable person and not some who y'all out there spreading around false information and stuff. So, yeah. So um, you mentioned 2005, you graduated. Now, excuse me, did you go straight into the Marine Corps after that or was uh, that? Yep, I did. Okay. What was the catalyst for the Marine Corps? Um, man, honestly, like I hated school so much. Like I hated sitting in a classroom. I was not good at that at all. Um, I wanted to join the military since I was a kid and I had a teacher Mr. Reinhardt, who was an army colonel, like three purple hearts, just a freaking badass, right? And um, he always told me, he's like, man, you'd make a you'd make a good soldier. You should join the military. And so I knew what I wanted to do, and that's exactly what I wanted to do. And so I got in. Uh, I well, I got graduate. I graduated high school. And, but, you know, honestly, right before I graduated, I went and just like pre-enlisted for the Marine Corps. And uh, so as soon as I graduated, I, I went to boot camp in September, mid-September. So after I graduated and that started that off, man. Yeah. Yeah. I've uh, only interacted with, so I've, you know, my best friend, Marine Corps or Marine interacted with a handful of y'all scout snipers are a whole other breed why becoming a scout sniper because that's no joke um well that brings me right back to hunting Mm -hmm. right um there's nothing wrong with you know being a door kicking infantry marine or soldier or whatever but it just wasn't my thing really there's no field craft involved with it which is like which was one of my favorite things that's why i love hunting so much is, is having to figure everything out and, and uh, become proficient at you know the different arts of like camouflage and movement and i mean it's it's setting up a you're basically hunt you're i mean you're hunting man as a sniper you are a hunter and um so that's that's what i really enjoyed i loved working in like small teams getting to know very, very, very personally the guys I'm working with, knowing how to move off of each other without really having to communicate anything. It's just a, it's just a different feel, man. And like I said, I love digging into the finer details of stuff. And so that really allowed me to do that. Um, plus with my, me growing up shooting, you know, 22s and learning how to shoot long range. And my dad teaching me and getting me started off on that. I actually became very proficient at long range shooting before I joined the military. And uh, so that kind of helped solidify <clears throat> what I wanted to do as a job in the Marine Corps. Yeah. So <clears throat> I was fortunate enough to go to scout sniper school and graduate, you know, had guys that were there in my class with me who were 
better at it than I was, that's for sure, who didn't graduate just by, you know, by way of just stupid shit, injuries, you know, failing uh, unknown distance shooting course, like, and these guys are absolute studs, you know what I mean? So I, I feel very fortunate and blessed to have earned that title. And I know guys out there, like I said, who are better than I was, um, who never, never got to accomplish that. And that doesn't say anything about them. And there, I've still, there's guys out there like Ryan from Achilles tactics. He didn't, uh, I don't know if you've met him or not, but, um, man, he's, a he was one six, I believe, and a scout sniper platoon, and he never got the opportunity to go to school and earn, you know, his hog's tooth and earn the earn the title of scout sniper. But let me tell you something: that guy is extremely proficient with a bolt gun. He digs in deeper to anything long range precision shooting related um, than I've ever seen. And so, I mean, he he is much better at shooting and teaching things as far as long-range shooting goes, instructing. He, he knows more than I've forgotten, if that makes sense. Yep. So, you know, and, you know, him not being a scout sniper means nothing. He is he's a phenomenal human being. I'd be proud to have him on any team with me any day of the week at any time. So it's like, like I said, just because they don't have that title doesn't mean, doesn't mean shit. Yeah. So coming from high school into Marine Corps through Scout Sniper and then kind of having the background in hunting and fishing and being able to dig in, what were maybe some of the, the I'm trying to think of the right question I want to ask. What were maybe some of the things that you wish you'd have known going into those things or that you think were helpful? Or also if you were to go back and tell young Creighton like, hey, dude, like, you should maybe think about life in a different way. Would you have said anything? Um, I think everything that I've gone through and done up to this point just kind of made me who I am. Man. Mm. And so I wouldn't necessarily change anything. And um, I guess if I could, you know, reach, you know, go back and tell, tell myself something, um, I guess I'd just say, you know, enjoy every day as if it was your last and uh, slow down and just observe, take everything in. Don't get in too much of a hurry and enjoy every moment, you know, because you just next thing you know, you blink and you're 34 years old. And there's things that you wish you would remember better, um, whether it be hunting, fishing, family, military, anything, man. So just slow down and take a deep breath. And, Pay attention and soak it all in, man. Okay. So after you retired then, did you go straight into the police department or did you go train conductor? I mean, what happened after retirement? Uh, I don't think I actually like retired, but he's walked just got out. out. I think, yeah, yeah you got to retire after like 20 something years. Oh, okay. But uh, yeah, after I got out, man, I, you know, what does every military guy do when they get out of the Marine Corps? Law enforcement, right? So I just figured, you know, I'd be pretty decent at it. I'd have a pretty good way of getting in. And I did, you know, I got in, no, no problem, passed everything, all the physical and mental stuff. And 
it was just like, you know, the, the whole, I got out of the military for a reason and it's just like going right back in. But now I've got to listen to people that I really don't see eye to eye with. Um, <laughs> and so that lasted all of like six months, man, just wasn't for me. And then, uh, started doing silt fence around Georgia, which was hard work, man. That's very labor intensive. Um, I don't know what that is. Silt fence. So like when you've got construction going on on a certain area, you know, obviously you're digging up a lot of dirt and Mm -hmm. moving a lot of dirt around. And so erosion is a huge thing. So erosion control is silt fence. You put up this silt fence to control the erosion. So anytime it rains, like all this rain and water's running down this freshly dug up hill, it's going to create a lot of mud and just, and silt. And so we would have to go in and dig trenches and pound posts into these trenches and put up a cloth and material fence to uh, basically redirect all that drainage. Right. And so it's just, doing it up on the side of that hard clay mountains and just rocks and roots and all you guys a pick and a shovel and a little bit of elbow grease just wears you out man and plus it's hot as shit in georgia and humid <laughs> and so you're just miserable the entire time and it's just yeah it wasn't great but got the bills paid allowed me the freedom to take time off and go hunting and fishing so uh, <laughs> What matters most, right? That's right, man. <laughs> and after that, I was a train conductor for Norfolk Southern. Um, I, think it's a, I don't know why I'm stuck on that, but I think it's funny. I can see you in a cap. It's like a little train conductor's cap. I wonder why everybody says that. Uh-huh. I never got a cool cap. <laughs> I never got one. Never got one. But it, it had its perks, man. It has you know good and bad the the hours suck you're always on call i got sent to the wrong um unit essentially basically my closest drive to my main hub where i would take off from was like an hour and 15 minutes furthest one was three hours sometimes of traffic which was up in tacoma so originally i was supposed to be like 20 minutes from the hub but they put me on the wrong unit. And, uh, so I kind of got screwed out of that. So that didn't help because I hated traffic anyways. And having to drive through that every single morning and evening, when you get done with your 12 hour shift, just got, got exhausting. So man, it's, uh, yeah. Being that, that job, like I said, it's kind of cool for, it's cool for like the first few weeks. That's about it. Then it gets old. Yeah. Then it's uh straight into guns back into the gun world then yeah yep yep back into the guns and worked at some gun shops and then uh worked at the the gun shops and a manufacturer and uh worked at the gun shops and the manufacturer for a while and uh i liked the manufacturing better than the gun shop because i didn't have to be like out in the public and dealing with everybody coming in and asking questions about stuff and which I loved helping people, but that got old too. Um, Cause it was always the same thing. And you'd have people that knew everything and wanted to argue with you. And you're just like, that's not the case, man. Like, I hate to break this to you, but you know, that Smith and Wesson and P magazine is not going to fit into your Glock 43. I'm sorry. 
it's just not. So I just got tired of that. So being on the manufacturing side was nice because I could just really put my head down and focus on what I was doing. And uh, yeah, so that was at that point, I never left the gun industry again. Um, once I got to the manufacturing and saw what what that was about. And so that kind of led me into where I'm at now with Scout Arms. I love the I love digging into stuff, right? All the finer details. So being able to manufacture the lightest long range hunting rifle available that's still shooting half minute of angle um, is phenomenal. I love it. We've got a sub five pound rifle. That's just feels like a toy. You forget you're carrying it around and it shoots like a damn laser and it looks really good and the action's smooth. Trigger's great. Finish is perfect on it. And just being able to put all that together and, and make it successful has been phenomenal. And I love seeing people's appreciation for those things. Yeah. Yeah. So. Let's, let's talk about scout. Cause like, that's how you and I got connected, I guess is maybe the right way to put it because you manufacture. And I didn't realize this until we were up at the Everly stock event, but you manufacture your own actions, which I think is fucking cool. So, Talk to me about how you got into the action manufacturing and then also how you learned how to do it because it's no, it is no small feat. Well, so like, I don't actually, we don't actually manufacture our actions in house. Mm -hmm. We do outsource that. Okay. Um, however, we have taken, you know, some of the best features and attributes of, you know, all the best actions taken it out and made it out of that grade five titanium so it's super lightweight we've gone through and cut a bunch of weight out taken some all like really good features put them in there move some bad features out and we've got a really great action that um it's very lightweight i think it's like 17 ounces um so it's 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 very light but it's yeah. very straight it's rigid enough to handle you know big calibers um but if you want like the lightest rifle on the market, that's, that's kind of where you got to start. That's the main, the main body of the gun is that big old block of metal right there at the action. And so being able to get that built with, you know, everything that we had in mind was, was great. You know, we, we could have gone with defiance. We could have gone with Curtis Customs or, you know, whoever else, Falcor, but we just kind of wanted something a little different. And um, that's what we did. And it's working out really well. We've had multiple people check out our rifles and say, man, that is the smoothest titanium action I've ever felt. And so I can take pretty good pride in that, having a titanium action that smooth because titanium is not, it's not a smooth surface metal like steel is. Right. So um, that's why a lot of guys that run competition, even our competition rifle, it's, it's a steel action because it's just smoother. Yeah. But um, for a hunting rifle, you know, you're not going to be running from barricade to barricade and running, you know, 50 rounds for time. Like you usually only get one shot. So it's like, I mean, you really don't need a smooth action, but that's kind of the first thing I look at when I pick up a rifle and I'll lift that bolt up and I feel that bolt slide back and forth i mean that's you're like that's your quality check right there man yeah. so i wanted it smooth regardless and so even though it's a hunting rifle i wanted a super smooth titanium action and so that's what we got 
Yeah, so I'm gonna nerd out a little bit. So is it a is it a two lug or a three lug? It's a two lug. It's a 700 footprint essentially. Yep. Which there's a lot of those out there. Mm-hmm. So what you can find different stocks for components for. Pretty much every every man that hunts in America is familiar with the 700 setup. Yeah, um, that's true. Now, do you have a short action and long action? Yep, short action to long action. We can do anything from 204 Ruger up to a 375. <laughs> okay, yeah. I like it. Um, and then controlled round feed? Uh, we do not have a controlled round feed action yeah. yet. It's going to be more of your Mauser style. Yeah. Um, we I'm... built some rifles off of a control round feed action, like a M77. Mm-hmm. Um, Winchester Model 70, all those. So, um, but we we do not offer one of those yet. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. And I honestly think too, on a hunting rifle, I don't know how necessary a controlled round feed is because you're right, you're only getting one, maybe two shots off, and you're probably hopefully taking a half a second extra time to get set up. So you're probably okay. Okay. Yeah, for like dangerous game, I can see where and why you would want to control around <laughs> yeah that's fair so do you have two actions so you've got your your titanium hunting and then uh competition steel are those the only two actions like if people we've actually drop- got we've got three so we've got our ti which is our skeletonized titanium we've got our uh mt which is our steel skeletonized action and then we've got our ht which is our heavy tactical which is our like beefy straight up comp or tactical action that's it's a beast um so yeah those are the three that we offer our hogs tooth and our barricade rifle those are competition and tactical rifles those come with the ht our mountain standard and base camp rifle come with the mt action which is the skeletonized steel and then our hyperlite and uh Hyperlite H and T twenty six and Hyperlite LR come with the titanium action, which is the TI. Okay. So now, are you selling the actions independently, or are they complete rifles? I'm selling complete rifles or barreled actions. Barreled I'm not actions. The actions by themselves, no. Okay. So if I burn a barrel out, like let's say I get you said an HT ready to go, you know, say six dasher ready to kill it, and I burn a barrel pretty easy to swap them i mean is it like a standard remington 700 thread pitch call this you up? 18 18 tpi and um yeah just screws right on there and torque it down man yeah i like so. that i've uh, i've burned a couple barrels and i've swapped a handful of barrels out so it's i know not many people do that it's funny because like anymore i talk to mostly hunters and they're like I'm like, yeah, I'll put, you know, two or 3,000 rounds on a barrel. And they're like, Jesus Christ, like what? Like, well, yeah. I mean, I know yeah. guys that go through 12,000 rounds in a year on their rifles. Like, it's ridiculous. So, yeah. How many barrels is that? Because, like, shooting a, if you're shooting like a six Creedmoor or a six BR, six BRA, something yeah. like that, I man, you're not getting a whole lot of rounds. Oh, no. Barrel. You're getting like maybe 1,500 to 2,000 rounds out of it. Yeah. Some of those guys, I mean, granted, they probably get barrels handed to them. Right. But I mean, at for guys like me, at 500 bucks a pop for a barrel, like, I mean, if I were to shoot 12,000 rounds on my six dasher, I'm assuming I could get, because they're going about 2,950, I'd probably get. I don't know, two to twenty five hundred rounds through it, maybe. And I bet you I would have to like that probably start burning the throat up a little. Yeah. I mean, 
I'd have to go through probably four or five barrels in a year. And that's like shooting every weekend. That's almost every day. That's a lot of shooting. I can't afford yep. that. That'd be fun, but I can't afford that. <laughs> Man, it's uh, so you you know Nikki, right? Uh huh. So she, I built her a barricade and six Creedmoor, and man, she's out shooting like every freaking weekend with that rifle. And I told her when she came out to our last uh, precision hunter development course, I told her, I said, "Are the rounds tumbling out of that thing yet?" She's like, "Nope, it's still good." I think, I mean, she's got to have close to two thousand rounds through that freaking barrel, man. I'm just like any day now, like you're gonna, you're gonna Miss. need a new barrel soon. Man. Yeah. <laughs> she, she just keeps running freaking rounds through that thing, man. So um, <laughs> I'm waiting on that call from her. Nikki, if you're listening to me, let's get your barrel ordered up. All right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 2000 rounds. It, yeah. I think, uh, I think at one point I had 3,400 rounds on uh, my, so I, my first rifle was a Savage. I bought a Savage Model 12 in six five creedmoor and that was my first entry into long range shooting and i shot the piss out of that thing i ended up breaking um one of my firing pins and i had like i probably i think i'd put 3400 rounds on that factory barrel before i swapped it out Jeez, yeah that's impressive yeah granted granted they were going like 2400 feet per second when i was reloading them like they were like barely making it out of the barrel you know um yeah it's pretty funny all right so um what's your lead time right now like if somebody orders a bit or orders a, a rifle and they're like hey dude like i've got a sweet sheep hunt coming up and i need x how long are we looking at so from start to finish from a start to finish like custom build you're looking at about 14 to 18 weeks, depending on exactly what you're wanting. Now, we are always trying to build out stock rifles. So we've always got some stuff in the works that we can change around. So like what a huge one right now is what a 6.5 millimeter bore, whether it be a Creedmoor or a PRC or a 26 nozzler, whatever, get those barrels made, got some actions moving. So, you know, if nobody wants those, we got them. Um, we work with Schnees a lot out of Bozeman and they carry our rifles over there. So like if nobody wants that rifle, we'll go put it on the wall and it sells. Uh, um, but a lot of times people call and they're like, Hey, here's what I'm looking for. And of course it's last minute, right? Like I've got eight weeks until this hunt. I'm just like, come on, man. But uh, here's what I'm looking for. And I'm like, well, here's what I've got. And so I can usually find a middle ground with somebody for what they're wanting and what they're looking for. But if, if nobody's in a rush, if somebody's not in a rush and they're willing to wait the full lead time to get exactly what they want, you're looking at 14 to 18 weeks, which is still really damn short for a custom, custom bolt gun. So. Yeah. Yeah. And is that, so that's, um, is that stock barrel action and then are they threaded barrels? Yep. They're all threaded. If it's, uh, below six millimeter, you're looking at half by 28. If it's over six millimeter, it's five eighths by 24. Yeah. Um, use an ultralight profile, carbon fiber, cryogenically treated 416 stainless barrel. And so you're actually getting higher velocities out of a shorter barrel um, with it being cryogenically treated. So I think uh, the last 300 PRC we built on a 22 inch barrel, the 225 ELDM precision or Hornady match was calling for 2810 at the muzzle um out of a 26 inch barrel we were shooting 2800 feet per second out of a 22 inch barrel 
So you can really cut down the length of your barrel and still get, you know, really good velocities with that cryo barrel, um, which is a huge thing that we, we preach. It's like, you don't need a freaking flag pull off the end of that action to get really good velocities and stuff like that. It's like, it just becomes such a pain in the ass to carry around the mountains, having a 26 inch barrel. And then God forbid you want to put a suppressor on it. Like, <laughs> Jesus. so run a 20, 22 inch barrel, depending on the cartridge. Put your short suppressor on there, make it super light and maneuverable, man. You're going to be a lot happier with it than having that, that extra hundred feet per second. What do you freaking do? So, yeah. Um, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, stock stocks. We use gray bow stocks. Mostly we do use the MDT H and T 26 chassis on our, on one of our hyperlight models. And then our barricade, we run the MDT ACC competition chassis on it. So <clears throat> everything else is great though though we're huge yeah. fans of the, their stocks and their company and they're wonderful people over there they are i've worked with Graybo. so when i was doing a lot of competition shooting um i did photography and stuff for those guys while i was out doing shooting and i have a ridge back that i've got all hydro dipped in the multi-cam black so for some reason i thought that was the coolest thing ever so i've got that all hydro dipped and i've got the barrel channel all hogged out for my fat barrel and filled with brass and like a custom cheek pee or like a shoulder piece with weights on it. It's like perfectly bound. The thing weighs like 22 pounds. It's ridiculous shooting like a wee little bullet. It's so funny. Cause like you like pop it and you can just watch it. The whole oh, yeah. thing, you know, just it's it's perfect. Like a pelican. Oh yeah, it totally is. And I love, uh, I had the Phoenix for a little bit, but it was a, it was a short action in my, seven mags obviously long action so i threw it on my fat competition gun for like one or two matches and it was kind of kind of goofy but it was fun so i love yeah Graybos, they're cool people too but um and then you teach now too you've got uh, your uh, phd right yep so we've got our precision hunter development course um we started that this year and so we did one in june and billings at blue creek sports and uh, we did one in August at Blue Creek Sports as well. Had uh, between 13 and 15 students at each one. Uh, we had Rick and Ryan from Achilles Seal Tactical come out and do the instruction portion of those courses. Um, it was a uh, first class, man. It was absolutely awesome. Everybody had a great time, ate really good food, uh, learned a bunch, and really learned their limitations and capabilities. And so um, that's a... That's a great course. I recommend anybody that wants to extend their um, effective range of their hunting rifle and their equipment, um, definitely come out of that course and, and learn what, what they're capable of and what you are capable of. Um, Cause I mean, it's up to us to kill, kill animals ethically and give them a quick, quick death. Um, so that's, that's one thing that we really preach out there. We teach you how to utilize the gear that you're actually going to have with you on the mountain um, anybody can lay in the prone and shoot off of a bipod with a 15 pound sandbag in a static position. But when you climb these mountains out here and you've got a race, <clears throat> race to the top of a ridge and shoot an elk off the top of your pack, that's going to disappear into the timber in 45 seconds. That's a completely different situation. So that's one thing that we, or one of the things that we really preach and try to get, get people aware of and let them learn their limitations. So they're not out there wounding animals. Yeah. Is that, so is that course really dedicated then to new hunters or is it pretty all encompassing? 
it's pretty all encompassing this um this year we're going to be doing it a little bit different so we're going to be doing three different tiers of the course beginner intermediate and advanced um i want to make sure everybody that comes out dedicates the time to this event is is learning as much as possible for their skill set that they already have so breaking it down into three different tiers is going to be huge that way the beginners you know if we do just one course you know, I feel like the beginners are drinking out of a fire hose and getting way too much information thrown at them. And the advanced people aren't really being challenged, right? And so by setting up three different tiers of courses, it's really going to hone in and focus on what um, what they need to learn and where they're at with their skill set already. And so that'll help us, help us give the, each student most bang for their buck. That's for sure. Okay. Well, shoot, man, we've covered, I feel like, quite a bit. Um, One thing that I do like to ask is, you know, I know I feel like we've covered quite a bit, probably glazed over a handful of things, a fair bit of life. Is there anything that you're like, man, I don't really talk about this a whole hell of a lot, or this is something that's important for me to share that we haven't touched on yet? Um. Not that I can think of, man. I got some pretty good hunting stories yeah that's uh, right i forgot I about that about oh yeah but... yeah let's hear it let's hear it. yeah let's hear your uh, your uh, dental floss uh and uh nether region story oh yeah so we me a marine corps buddy of mine and a friend of mine from georgia uh, we went up to ohio to hunt some white-tailed deer on some public land that a friend of mine had killed a really big it was like 153 inch eight point with his longbow the year before. And he's like, man, there's deer all over up here. I'm like, yeah, say no more fam. I'm there. And, uh, so we go up there. I get up a day early to help get up stands, set stands up and cameras and kind of get a lay of the land before my other buddies showed up. And so me and Kyle, what was his name? Kyle Smith. Um, we go up to the top of this, piece of public land and we're like a little over a mile and a half up there I'd say and I get set up in this tree with a climber stand and it's the same tree that my buddy Kyle killed that that big buck out of right well I'm uh, getting up in the tree I look around cool everything looks good shooting lanes are clear set to go ready to rock and roll so i don't know if you have much time in a summit viper tree stand like a climbing tree stand well they are the best tree stand in my opinion like if you're gonna buy a climbing tree stand that's the one to have they're comfortable they're lightweight they're quiet to take off and on the tree and they pack up really really tight and easy to carry um that's by far my favorite tree stand it's the only one i'll ever buy if i buy another one um but um, when you get on a big tree with a climber, when you get down to the bottom of that tree at the largest circumference of it, the platforms of that tree are angled up super high, right? Because there's no more room to expand those cables around the tree. So as you go up the tree, it starts to level out. So you set it for the height you want to be at when you get up there to where your platform's level. Well, I came back down the tree, got as close to the bottom as I could you know, I could not move the stand anymore down. And so this is not my first time going through this. Um, this happens quite a bit. 
and big hardwood forests. And so the front of those um, tree stands have a bar across the front. And what I do when I get down to the bottom of the tree, if I can't get all the way to the bottom, is I'll hang off of that front rail and just drop down to the ground. I've done it a million times, a million times. Well, probably not a million, a thousand times. And uh, I've become very comfortable doing it. And so you only drop like two feet, two and a half feet, right? Not a big deal. And uh, so I get down to the bottom and I hang off the front of that rail, let my feet hang down. I look left underneath me, look right underneath me, just make sure there's nothing, you know, see where I'm going to put my feet when I land, right? And I drop down and this just absolutely excruciating pain goes up through my basically through my my groin yeah Yeah. and i just feel just blunt trauma penetration (laughs) all of it (laughs) i'm just like this this is really bad and so i i land and you talk about like shocking man i was not expecting that well what had happened is Kyle, when he went through that area, he always trims these little saplings, you know, at about, I don't know, chest height. So when the deer walk through there, they don't notice anything's different, right? So you're not cutting trees off at the base. Sure. You're cutting them at about chest height and they cut them flat. Thank God. Um, with like little pruners, he just goes through. So his shooting lanes are clear when the deer walk through, cause he hunts with a stick bow. So, I mean, that deer he shot was at three yards. And so like, everything's got to be kind of left left alone to make the deer feel comfortable moving through there well what had happened is a tree about a big around of a quarter um he, he had cut flat the year before when going up into that tree and it was about chest high on me um if i was standing on the ground and so when i dropped down it was directly underneath me and that flat tree <laughs> it was a tree went through my pants through my underwear, through my nuts, up into my pelvic girdle, stopped on my taint, basically. And since it was cut flat, um, luckily I broke the tree and it didn't like go up inside of me into my vitals and intestines and stuff like that. And so it broke the tree with enough force. And so <laughs> now I'm standing there. I'm a with mile a stick and a half literally away. up your ass. Yeah. With a, well, through my nuts. Yeah. yeah. Might as well have been up my ass. So I'm standing there, hunched over. I've got a tree inside of me. I look at my buddy Kyle. I'm like, hey, buddy, this is really bad. This is not good. And so I don't, I, you know, I'm at first I'm just like, I'm not exactly what to do, not exactly sure what to do in this situation. Never been here before. And so, um, I kind of like pull, I get up on my tippy toes. Luckily the tree's broken, right? But there's still tension on the tree because it's like, yeah, not good. And so I pull the tree out, man, I've got leaves and bark like inside of my nutsack. Um, so I'm like, as soon as I get the tree out, blood starts coming out, obviously. So I had a sock in my bag or extra socks in my bag and so i grab a sock out wrap it around you know my boys and boy there and tightened it down kind of like a tourniquet (laughs) and so 
Yeah, I didn't know what else to do, man. <laughs> just kind of like I'm. It worked though, and so like I, I cinched it down. And I'm not going to sit down. I don't want to move too much around, and so I'm just kind of leaned up against the tree. And I look at Kyle. I'm like, well, I don't know how far up inside of me it went. I don't know how much blood I'm going to lose. I guess we'll figure it out in about five minutes. And so I'm just standing there. Five minutes goes by. I'm just like, cool. All right. I'm not dead. This is good. So, dude, who in their right mind cuts cuts these saplings flat, right? Like when I go through, like it's always at an angle, right? Yeah. yeah. Whether you're hacking it with a, a knife or a machete or clippers, what it's always at an angle, right? If that tree had been cut at an angle, I would not be here today. Yeah. Because it would have gone up inside of me, like up inside of me. Um, and so luckily it was cut flat. But man, you talk about blunt force. The, you're you know, I'm 200 pounds and you put all that weight on a square surface the size of a quarter. It's going it moves, places. It's going places. And so, it, yeah, I have this tab of skin on my nuts, basically. That was just like hanging there where it did punch through blunt blunt trauma man and uh perfect tab cut through my pants and my underwear so like you can imagine that that's a sharp edge around that tree and so i'm standing there not dead life is good and uh i'm like okay now what so i'm like we're already up here I'm feeling okay. I'm not bleeding out. Um, we've got two more stands to hang. And so <laughs> I went ahead and we ran over to where my buddy was going to sit, put his stand out. And then one other place, put his stand out, came back down the mountain. I'm hurting really bad by this point. Um, and, you know, they were coming up the next day. And so I was like, I'm fine. Like, I'm not, this isn't like super urgent or anything anymore. I'm not dying. So... Uh, went ahead and got the stands out and then we get down to the truck and got enough service to get a phone call out and I'm in Barnesville, Ohio, mind you. Okay. This is a little bitty town of Ohio. So I called the Barnesville VA clinic and I'm like, yo, here's what happened. I need an adult. And they're like, oh, we can't help you with that here. You're going to need to go to the big VA hospital in Columbus, which is two hours away. I'm like, cool. So we drive two hours to Columbus and, you know, we get to Columbus. And at this point, this happened. It had been, let's see here, two, three, three and a half hours since I've been impaled myself, right? So um, we get there. I walk in and they're like, no, you need to go to a civilian hospital to get this dealt with. This is, this is an issue. So I'm like, damn it. Like I could have just gone to the civilian hospital in Barnesville there. So finally get over to the Columbus, uh, the Columbus civilian hospital. I walk into the ER, tell them what's going on. They take me back to a room immediately, lay me down on the table. Um, Two minutes later, the doctor comes in. And man, you can tell people were just like poking their head in the room. Like, you know, what was written up on the board, you know, like uh, impalement, you know, testicular impalement or something. So everybody, <laughs> all the nurses that saw that on the board, you know, people were just like poking their head in like, what's going on in here? Yeah. And so the doctor comes in <clears throat> and uh, 
I'm like laying out there spread eagle on the table. I'm like, what's up, dude? Check it out and uh, tell me what you think. So he gets down there, looks at everything, like felt up around like inside there on, and all the tissue and everything. He was just like, dude, it is an absolute miracle like that you're you're okay. Yeah. No castration for you. (laughs) Yeah. And so like it centered my nuts perfectly. So it's like it went between them up into the, yeah, could not have worked out any better. And so um, he was like, you're going to be in a lot of pain for the next few days, probably the next few weeks. He's like, but the only thing I can do for you is clean it out real good and give you about eight stitches. So um, I was like, cool. All right. Well, I'll just lay here until you oh, excuse me. I'll just lay here until you get uh get back, obviously. So I'm laying there, you know, expecting this to be done pretty quickly. Um, an hour goes by, two hours goes by, three hours goes by. I'm just like, holy crap, why is this taking so long? Apparently, there had been a really bad car accident with a deer. And had two people in critical condition and staff were short that night. And so that's what they were busy with, right? I wasn't going to die. And so I was just, just laying there, which is fine. Um, so, you know, after about eight hours, tissue starts to die and rot, right? And so I'm nearing that time and I'm just like, this is, yeah, I'm tired of waiting. A, first off, B, my buddy Kyle has to be at work at 5 a.m. It's already getting late. So, after, you know, three and a half hours goes by, it's either three and a half or four hours goes by. I eventually just said, F it, man, screw this. I'm tired of waiting. So I stood up, put my clothes back on, walked out of the hospital, get or go out into the waiting room. Like, Kyle, let's go. I'm just ready to be done with this. And so we get in the car. I'm like, hey, swing by that CVS. I'm going to grab, you know, a needle and some thread or something figured this out and so you know which i had a trauma kit in my pack which probably would have made more sense didn't think about it at the time um so stop at a cbs find a pack of curved upholstery needles like the big thick ones right yeah, like the 10 12 gauge yeah yeah i'm just like shit this is gonna <laughs> suck and i got some wax-free dental floss some hydrogen peroxide and some alcohol we get and back tequila. to Barnesville. Yeah, well, I drink some whiskey. <laughs> um, I got down in his basement, and I'm just like standing there in front of the mirror with a pair of needle nose pliers, curved stitching, upholstery needle, and some wax free dental floss. I'm just looking in the mirror like this. This is interesting. I've never been in the situation before. It's a little <laughs> bit humbling, you know. So I've got one foot up on the sink there. Of course, the lighting sucks in there. And I just took a couple shots of whiskey and I just said, all right, here we go. So I proceeded to pour hydrogen peroxide into my scrotum, which is a very interesting sensation. I'll just go ahead and tell you that. Um, And then once I felt like I got all that cleaned out, all the debris out of there, I went ahead and started stitching myself up and uh, did eight stitches. So I ran a needle through my nutsack 16 times, um, which was, like I said, this very humbling experience. <laughs> and so I got it stitched up, man. 
and uh, I was in a lot of pain the next day, but like nine o'clock rolled around. I was laying in bed. My buddy Kyle had gotten up, had to go to work, obviously, but he told me where I needed to go if I wanted to hunt and all that. So I already knew <laughs> my area. So I, yeah, I'm super sore the next morning. I wake up. I'm just like, I feel like I had been punted between the legs. 16, yeah. And uh, I wasn't going to let it get me down. Got up as far as I was and made it through all that. I was like, screw it. I'm going to go hunting. So I get up in the stand a couple hours later two does come by and I was like, I'm sticking the first thing I see. And so sure enough, big nanny doe comes up 20 yards, stick her. <clears throat> she runs off, bleeds out and dies like 15 yards from our shotter. It was a 176 pound doe. <laughs> the biggest doe I've ever shot. To this day. <laughs> so and I'm, <laughs> I'm used to Georgia deer, right? Like a big doe is 120, 130 pounds. I walk up to this doe. I'm like, holy shit how am i going to get this thing out of here i've got fresh stitches and my nuts might pop out of my sack here i don't know so she died right next to this cliff that dropped down into a creek and uh i was like perfect you know still pretty cool out so i literally just kicked this doe off this cliff into the creek and lands perfectly that damaged the meat or anything uh she floats down and gets wedged in some rocks, right? Kind of like I planned this. Like it was, it was God, just his way of just like, here you go. Here's your solution. So I looked down at the creek. There's a cornfield and then a public road. And I was like, perfect. That makes perfect sense. I'm not dragging this thing back out the way I came in. And uh, so I hike back up to the top of the hill, <clears throat> get my truck, drive back down the mountain there, and go knock on those people's door. And, uh, they're like yeah you can drive right through the cornfield and back it up to the creek and get the deer up in there i was like hey you know like i just i was like i just had surgery you know yesterday i was like probably not gonna be able to get them up in there i'll come back later with my buddy so like i said it was nice and cool so i went down in there gutted the deer left it laying in the creek um went and met my buddy uh eric and andrew um and then they, we came back later that day and loaded the deer up and all that. But it was just a, it was a very, very cool experience. It sucked at the time, but man, it's like, once you go through that and kind of have to deal with that yourself and, and figure all that stuff out and just keep pushing on, it's kind of a, kind of a cool, kind New of a perspective cool story, on man. life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. Just, and I thank my buddy, Kyle. I said, thank you for cutting that tree flat, buddy. Yeah, no kidding, right? Because had it not, I mean, yeah, that would have gone up, wouldn't it? I probably would have made it. That would have made it up into my lungs and probably my heart. It was chest high on me. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have any stories like that. Not at least (laughs) hunting. Yeah, not at least hunting or backpacking. I, I have some friends that are, I have one buddy who is a, special individual he's the reason that i have first aid kit on hand on hand all the time because i get the occasional phone call of him quite literally being a dumbass so <laughs> we've gone to the yeah ER we all got those friends oh my like god not me i sent him a, i sent him a venmo bill once i was like you owe me a hundred dollars like <laughs> i have used all of my first aid shit on you and like i need it back so I, it was seriously I said, yeah it was funny i don't think he was very happy with me but i was like no this shit's expensive good stuff good stuff is expensive so 
Yeah, it is. And like, I'll tell you a really good first aid kit to have. Uh, my buddy Jimmy, he owns Orion Medical Consulting. He okay. has a phenomenal uh, first aid kit. And if you're looking for something that's lightweight, thought out, and has everything you need, and honestly, like nothing you don't, it's it is the perfect backcountry survival kit. And yeah, so I, I highly to... recommend get on getting on his website and checking that out. That's Orion Medical Consulting. He's okay. awesome. Yeah, I've got my blister pack, which my best my wow my blister pack and like I think there's duct tape and a tourniquet is what I have when I'm out doing anything. And then on my motorcycle is actually the tourniquet that tier gave us. Cause that's yeah. a nice one. So that one I actually bought shock cord and I put that on my saddlebags. So I've got that on my, on my truck or on my motorcycle. And then in my truck, usually I've got, I think there's like two, two tourniquets and like one, there's one small first aid kit and then in my plates, like if I'm, tra if I'm traveling, like driving around, I'm going to be in my truck, my plates, I've got another like full blown, like blowout kit. Gotcha. And then on my, yeah, I've got, I love first aid stuff. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't understand why, but like me and first aid things, we're friends. I like it. So. Yeah, man. It's, I mean, it's such useful information and you can save somebody's life, man. And like, be that guy, right? Like be that guy. If you are called to a situation and you just so happen to be there, man, like act on it. Like you put that knowledge to use and go, go use it. And so, yeah. um, I was fortunate enough to go through the DMOC live tissue training when I was in, when I was in the military and like, so on pigs, like was, you talk about priceless information. That's such, such a good course. Um, so having those, having that knowledge base is huge, man. So if you, if you're called to use it and help somebody, then yeah, man, dig into it as deep as you want. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love, yeah. First aid stuff's fun. I did a, a first aid class. Actually I did it down here. Um, I, I was in March. It was in March of this year. I came down to the field craft guys and did one of their emergency first aid classes. And that's when I really learned like, I always thought tourniquets were like tactical, you know, like people that have tourniquets just to look like, you know, they were the shit. And then I like, after going through that class, I was like, Oh no, like, like these are like functional in like yeah. a thousand different ways. Like, oh, it's yeah. like, like the, 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 mo the, the likelihood of me having to use one is more apt to be because of an accident than anything else, like a car accident. Right. Yep. Like, it's just like, oh, you need, yeah, I don't know. I learned a lot. I learned a lot that day. So, I mean, anything, man, like that tree, think if I had fallen, you know, a foot to the drop down a foot further to the right, yeah, you right know, through like your leg, gone up into my freaking leg and hit my uh, femoral mm -hmm. artery. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it'd be a really good idea to have a tourniquet on you because that would save my life. Like, yeah. Yeah. Just anything can happen, man. That You don't have to be in a war zone to need a tourniquet, like keep two of them bitches on you. You know what I mean? Like at all times. Yeah. I want to get some more of those nice ones. Cause I like, um, cause the one that tier gave us is like, um, I think it's metal and I think it's all mostly metal and cloth. So it doesn't, it won't stretch as, or it won't stretch if you use it. 
And that's why I leave it on the motorcycle because that's mostly out in like, you know, the weather. Whereas some of the other ones, they're not, you know, once they're, once you open them or once you like crank it once they're, they're shot. That one I think is pretty resilient, which is why it's there rather than my truck. So yeah. do you have it wrapped up in cellophane or anything? That one's not, no. I'd recommend putting it in a bag or something just okay. to keep it, keep it out of the elements and moisture and all that, you know, and definitely replace it, you know, definitely. in a timely manner. Okay. Sweet, man. Well, what else? Is there anything in life that you uh, have learned that you'd like to share? That you're like, man, this is important. I've learned a lot. Um, any one thing specifically to tell everybody, I guess just like, don't be a dick. You know, don't be a dick to people. Be a nice guy. Treat everybody with respect till they give you a reason not to. Um, you run into a, a lot of people that are just assholes for no reason. And um, they're not a pleasure to be around. So be that guy, right? <laughs> I'm going to label this episode, Guns, Don't Be a Dick, and Punctured Taints. Yeah. That's... There's something along those lines. But yeah, yeah just, just be a nice person. Help people out. Do your best to do right by everybody. Um, you're not meant for everybody. So don't feel like you have to be a part of everybody's life. There's some people in this world that don't deserve you. So don't try to cater to everybody, but also don't be a dick. Just be nice to everybody and, you know, go on about your business and mind your own business. And if you can help somebody, then go for it. But yeah, this is your one life and you can, turn somebody's day around for the better or the worse and so try to make it the better creighton once again man thank you for taking the time to sit down and share your story with me i really appreciate you taking the time uh to sit down and uh walk through some of the fly fishing stuff and uh welcome me uh into your family while i visited up in up in montana earlier this summer um it was a breath of fresh air something that i very much needed so thank you for constantly being there and uh you know let me shoot this shit with you from time to time calling to make sure everything's kosher but um otherwise i hope you all uh glean something from this uh from this week's episode it is episode 100 and man again i could not be more thankful for all of you for tuning in, liking, subscribing, and rating to the show. Um, please be sure to uh, spread the word and uh, subscribe and uh, you know share it with your friends. And uh, please leave a comment. Follow me on the Instagrams. That's where you'll get a little bit more of my life beyond the mic. But otherwise, I hope you all have a wonderful week, and we will catch you next time. 